transmitted live across the Atlantic 3,000 miles and five hours backwards in time. We are now getting your sound clearly and we are looking forward with great anticipation to seeing your program. And welcome to another edition of Match Report. I'm Jack here with Manny. How you doing, man? I'm feeling good, bro. I'm feeling good. Had a good week. How you been? Unfortunately, Arsenal did not even play this weekend, but they still managed to disappoint, <laughs> mainly through the images that came through of Mikel Arteta at Salt Bay's restaurant in Dubai, in Dubai but right? not just at Salt Bay's restaurant, getting hand-fed some steak by Salt Bay himself. I was distressed seeing these images. Uh, how how did you take them in? It was so funny, bro. <laughs> he had his whole mouth open, like he was enjoying himself, though, man. I think I think he needed he needed a nice little little break, get some good food, good weather, and just distract himself from the Premiership for for a bit. He he looked like he needed it, man. Yeah, I think he's been under some stress, Mikel Arteta. I think the whole squad has, but. I don't see how you relieve the stress going to that man's restaurant. Even <laughs> so, now he's the villain, uh, you know, among football fans because he's out on the pitch after the World Cup final, yeah, taking photos with the trophy and acting like he's on the team. He's, yeah. you know, he's trying to tap Messi on the shoulder during the, you know, the the pin. He's reached the pinnacle of his professional life, and he's got this asshole tapping him. <laughs> but I will say that I was a hipster on this. I hated Salt Bay even before that, which oh, makes really? this that more distressing. Yeah, yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I got sick of his persona after about, a, you know, a year of, of the, <laughs> the salt. That yeah. was enough for me. <laughs> yeah, it, it is very, very corny, very cringy seeing him do it. Um, and yeah, the amount of access he's he's gotten to like celebrities and, and like footballers is, is actually quite crazy. Uh, but I will say I've tried the restaurant. I went to Turkey. So like the original restaurant obviously started in Turkey where he's from. Um, and yo, the steak... Steak is good, man. It's good food. But um, yeah, it's, it's a lot cheaper in Turkey as well compared to like London. It's almost like four or five times as expensive in London and Dubai and like everywhere else around the world. But in Turkey, I think you can get like a meal for like 60, 60 pounds per person. Like it's, it's reasonable. That's fair enough. I assumed it was overpriced for, for whatever the quality was, but it sounds like you got to go to the source yeah. back in uh, Istanbul. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, well, your, your outfit did uh play this weekend manchester united mm -hmm. uh it was 2-2 with tottenham a, a great match um a really phenomenal match what struck me you know on watching the the lineups come in this sunday was two things first that andre onana still hasn't gone to afcon <laughs> i, I would have thought he's, he's due to go to afcon to represent his country uh, the other thing was uh, Aaron Juan Bissaka playing left back, which really struck stuck out to me. I mean, you know, did you raise an eyebrow at either of those uh, lineup additions? Yeah, I, I think the Anano one I was expecting. There's been quite quite a bit of commentary about that, so I knew he was going to play. I think it's a bit crazy though to think that you're not playing for your country in you know their their national uh, tournament to play an FA Cup game against Wigan. And then to to play against Tottenham in you know it was an entertaining game like you said, but essentially just to get a draw, uh, and apparently he's getting a flight now, either tonight or tomorrow morning to hopefully go and play in a game for Cameroon tomorrow. So, yeah, he's a bit of a mad one, but he he looks a bit he looks a bit crazy to be fair. 
Um, in terms of the yeah, lineup, I mean, it started. <clears throat> yeah, go, go on. Ahead. I I was gonna say it started pretty well for for the Red Devils. I mean, to see the uh, the young kid Hoyland smashed it into smashed the roof it. of the net after some poor Spurs defending, which we'll get to, but. Uh, he really smashed it in, and that must be exactly what you want to see as a United fan, Rasmus Hoyland, showing that he has the the killer instinct in the 18-yard box. Yeah, and you've seen it throughout this season. You can see that raw ability. You can see like a lot of the potential, and I think he's going to develop into a really top-class top class striker. Um, there's, there's things, obviously, in his game he needs to work on. I think his approach play could be better. Uh, I think he gets into physical battles a bit too much. You know, he's, he's a big, strong lad and he's actually quite quite good at travelling with the ball um, and dribbling. So I want to see more variation in his play. But, you know, some of his finishes that he's had, you know, a couple of the finishes at Bayern and Galatasaray, the game today looks like an accomplished, you know, you know a seasoned striker's finish. Um, and, you know, it was, it was good to see the link up between him and Rashford as well. You know, they both kind of semi-assisted each other uh, in the game today. So that that was good to see. Yeah, in the second half, Hoyland had this sort of turn slash dribbling move where he backheeled it past Mickey Vandeven yeah. and kind of roasted him on the yeah. sideline. It reminded me of that famous clip of the Real Madrid defender, Redondo, actually at Old Trafford, I believe, in the uh, Champions League in 2000 in, in the quarterfinal, where he was out on the sideline and, and roasted somebody with a similar backheel thing to catch them off off balance Uh but I didn't know that was part of of uh Hoyland's game really you know he he looked decent not just as a glue man as a as a target man but as somebody who can run with the ball yeah yeah exactly he he does have a lot more um strengths and he has a lot more ability than I guess his size and his stature um gives off uh like I said I feel like he should he should change his game up a bit more and he is a better footballer than he gives himself credit for or we give him credit for should I say um but yeah I mean the starting lineup seeing Wan-Bissaka at left back I thought it must have been to neutralize uh Johnson um but I don't know he, that didn't really make sense at the same time because you think if he was a left-footed right right winger coming in um, it would have made sense maybe having Wan-Bissaka there but you know our build-up play and our approach play on that left side didn't look great and I think a large part of that was you know having Bissaka as a left back um, he's not as good progressively on the ball as Dallo uh, I thought the right-hand side was was decent um, I think Ndogi had a great game against Garnacho. Garnacho was quite was quite quiet to be honest um, especially compared to recent games but we got we got completely dominated you know, in that midfield battle, we lost it from within the first five minutes. Uh, and the biggest issue is having, we haven't got the right partner alongside Mainu. You know, um, I think Ericsson's just way too passive. And in a game as intense as that, with as many midfield runners as, um, as, as Tottenham had, and they've got good technicians who can keep the ball and rotate the ball quite well in midfield. It was, it was literally just so many gaps in midfield and it, it looked poor. It was poor from us. Um, but we had the quality and, and the transitions. We looked threatening. Yeah, I, I thought the Christian Eriksen got exposed today. Uh, Rodrigo Betancur, when he ran, just ran past him with ease to get into the box to score mm. Tottenham's second goal, which was an assist for Timo Werner. 
a pretty simple square ball, but I'm sure <laughs> he'll be celebrating that, uh, considering a couple of the efforts that he had on goal. Yeah. Uh, I do still think that has the makings of an extremely Spurs signing. But I, th- I thought the big story for Spurs today was, yes, they did control the game, but they defended very poorly, I think. And, you know, when, when Pedro Porro came into the league, mm. I got a bit of an Alexander-Arnold, a Trent Alexander-Arnold vibe from him mm. where it would be better going forward than, than going backwards. I actually thought for the first half of the season, Pedro Porro showed a little scrappiness to his game. Mm. He showed some willingness to get in there, throw some elbows. But today, he was caught out for the first. I just wasn't uh, I wasn't convinced by his defending. But he brought the Trent Alexander-Arnold. He put in the ball for the opener for Tottenham, uh, the equalizer. And, you know, did you see that as a nice ball in and some good play? Or were you seeing, as, as I thought might have happened, you know, Kobe Maynou and the center backs getting blocked off, and then there's yeah. a free header for Richarlison? Yeah, I, I think as good as some deliveries can be and, and quality crosses can be, I think set pieces is ultimately always going to be down to either poor marking or poor desire to to clear the ball. Um, so that's a mistake, definitely on, on our side. Um, having mainly who's probably one of the shortest players on the pitch in around the box, you know, as close to this keeper as he was, you're just, you're asking for trouble. You know, he should be maybe, you know, at, at the back post or on the edge of the box and, and marking zonally, for example. Um, so I, I thought that was poor, and throughout the game, Tottenham looked dangerous in every set piece. Uh, we didn't quite get a hang a hang of you know picking up the right man or matching up the right players with the Tottenham with the Tottenham players. So you know a couple couple times they could have scored from set pieces. Um, Poro, yeah, defensively he was poor. He does he does go missing, goes wandering quite a bit, but he puts in some good crosses. He he's he plays on the front foot. You know he pegs you back. Um, he's a great outlet as well, and I think he's a lot more effective with Kulisevsky playing in front of him because he likes to come in and cut inside. I think having both him and and Johnson, who both like to stay out wide and and go down the byline, that's where the gaps were opening up for us, especially in transition. You know, in the vacated spaces that he was leaving. So um, yeah, I mean, we, I think we could have capitalized a bit more on the gaps that were there. You know, you know, Tottenham play with a high line and. The goals that we did score was was from mainly from transitions and and quickness of play and and you know playing that ball in behind. Bruno was trying to find the space consistently throughout the game, and some of these some of these games you sometimes want him to just put a foot on the ball and just just calm things down and just let's just keep possession. Literally, the moment the ball goes into his feet, he's looking for that pass a lot of the time. First time it gets cut out, and it's it's frustrating because when we don't have a hold of the ball. With you know, like I said, with Ericsson being quite passive and just not in, has the athleticism to play in the league anymore, it just means we're constantly turning over possession. Um, and other teams they have a field day against our midfield, and if we don't outscore other teams, it just looks like we're not going to to grind out a result. Yeah, I I thought you know I always assume that Bruno Fernandez is on instructions to you know stay on the half turn early ball out to Rashford. Because I think United are at their best when they're sitting in and playing on the counter. I, I just don't think that they have the personnel at the moment to run the game the way mm-hmm. that Tottenham ran the game here. Yeah. Uh, but there was also some schizophrenia, I felt like, in the Man United plan, where there was sort of a half-hearted press going on. 
and then they were getting carved open pretty easily. I thought they should have just stuck to the bread and butter, which to me is your compact, even though you're at home at Old Trafford. It's, you know, it's sad to say about a, a team like Manchester United. But, you know, against a team like Tottenham who want the ball, I think, you know, United are going to sit in and find, you know, Rashford early. And that's, I thought, where you guys got joy today as you almost always get joy. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, you made a key point about the pressing. It's Our pressing always seemed half-hearted, you know. It's not a, a team press or it doesn't look like all the players are understanding where the trigger is to press. It's usually, you know, Fernandez or Hodgelin running around trying to press on their own and they're not getting that you know that secondary press from either the wingers or the fullbacks um and it just creates gaps everywhere and it just means we're constantly running back towards goal and that's why we succeed so many um cutback goals because of those transitions are just not not plugging those holes and, and, and pressing collectively but yeah the, the best way for us to get goals is those half turn chances that you know Fernandez will create for Garnacho or for or for Rashford, but if that's going to be the case, play Mania alongside someone that's more defensive minded that can keep that shape. It's like you want us to play that way, but then you're playing someone like Eriksen alongside him, who you know is not defensively that great. He's not that astute defensively. He's not great looking over his shoulder. He doesn't cover gaps in space. You know, he's a luxury player, you know. When we're dominating possession against low box, like, Ericsson's great on the ball. He can pass the pass the ball around. He can find little pockets. He can he can pick out a pass. But some of the personnel changes to the way we try to play doesn't make sense. And then we throw on McTominay again. Last 20 minutes is his number one plan if he does not starting. Um, and then he gets a glorious opportunity at the end and, and fluffs his chances. So it's... A part of me feels like it's a lack of quality in United, but Tottenham have got so many players out and they're still playing the same way as if Madison and Son were still in the team. So I don't know. That's one of my biggest gripes for is Arteta, I was going to say, but for Ten Hag is there's no identity unless we've got our first 11 fully fit. Yeah, I was... Uh... I was struck by the McTominay. Really, at this point, I feel like McTominay is getting paid to score goals. Mm -hmm. I think that's really his only role in the team. Mm -hmm. And to fluff that chance on 95 minutes, five minutes into stoppage time, absolute criminal offense. Mm -hmm. I I think he's got to at least put that on target. Mm -hmm. The other notable substitution to me was Lissandro Martinez, who returns after four months out. How happy were you to see that man, uh, to see Johnny Evans come off the field and see that man come on the field? I've missed him so much, man. Jack, I've missed him so. He's such a good footballer. Like, he's he's breaking lines with ease. Like, he's threading passes. He's got that bite in the challenge. You know, even off the ball, he's giving little shoulders in, into the Tottenham players and just letting people know he's about... Like that's that's the attitude, that's the ability that we need, and it's sad to say that a lot of our progressive passing is coming from has always come from him, you know, in, in this this new shaped uh, United side. So he's a massive plus, I think. Uh, Casemiro as well, when he eventually comes back, um, alongside Manu, I think is probably the best way to go forward, because uh, I think that foundation will allow us to be that transition counter attacking team, and it's our best success success route, I think. Um, Luke Shaw, I don't know what's happening with him. He always, every season for periods, just goes missing. 
Um, a lot of fans are kind of getting fed up and, and feel like maybe it's a, it's a mentality thing when the going gets tough. Luke Shaw always seems to get some sort of injury. Uh, but then whenever we're flying again, he seems to be back fit and, and playing with confidence. So, yeah, it's it's, it's frustrating that we're not be able to build a consistent team and, and, and progress and see any build-up from last season. The same fixture last year, we played much better. We had control of the game and we dominated Tottenham. Um, and then this season, both games home and away, we've looked completely off it. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens to Tottenham over the next month. I was not really that impressed, especially in the attacking midfield areas. I, I thought Brennan Johnson was kind of poor and anonymous. And, you know, seeing Brian Hill come on, you know, I get sort of an Eddie and Keddie feeling or, or worse mm. with that. You know, I, I just don't believe that there's, you know, something's going to happen for them. I think they're going to miss Sun a lot, which is obvious, but... I don't know when Madison is is supposed to come back, but I think they're they're going to need some special sauce that you know if they're going to keep pace mm. up there at the top of the league. But of course, the Premier League was not the only game in town today. Mm-hmm. There was a Spanish Super Cup match, yep, uh, between Real Madrid and Barcelona. El Clasico played uh, in Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it didn't turn out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It uh, it didn't turn out to be much of a contest, no. to be honest. And my you know prediction of Barcelona being a dark horse to compete for the Champions League is looking very bad <laughs> indeed. Uh, you know, but on the flip side, Real Madrid looked like Real Madrid playing a very interesting formation too. The way they set up is pretty fascinating. Yeah, um, El Clasico is just, I don't know, it doesn't have the same appeal as it used to. Um, even with, you know, some of the superstars that both teams still have, it just, yeah, it, I don't think it, it, caps, it captures fans as as much as it used to. Um, again, playing in Saudi just doesn't feel right for a game of that magnitude as well. Uh, but I, I think it was just pure quality. Real Madrid had much better quality than, than Barcelona. Um uh, Ericsson, not Ericsson, Christensen coming back into the side because um, normally Kunde and, and Arujo playing together. Uh, I thought he struggled in the game. He couldn't deal with the pace and the running behind from Rodrigo and, and Vinicius. Um, but yeah, the the shape that Real Madrid play, I love it, man. It's reminiscent of the Ancelotti AC Milan side when they play that same diamond with, with Kakar and uh, Gattuso, Seedorf, Perlo. But he's he's got a, a beast in a player like Bellingham who just makes it work and the two wingers slash forwards in um, the two Brazilians it just it makes it work they're constantly dragging defenses all over the place and and, and taking down down channels and and into places defenders don't want to be in and they have the ability to beat you one on one they can you know they've got great great finishes both of them so yeah it's it's a fun it's a fun formation they've got. The youth, they've got the athleticism, they've got the quality. Um, and yeah, they're just the, the better side one in the day. Yeah, I thought that they looked a lot more athletic, but also that Carlo Ancelotti all just completely outfoxed Chavi mm. uh, here. And I think it showcased his adaptability where, you know, he's sort of invented this, this way of playing because of the personnel he has. And then it's little things, you know, in terms of exploiting these issues in, in you know, Barcelona's defensive mm. 
structure. Like uh, very early on in the game, uh, Bellingham receives the ball in that, you know, withdrawn forward position that he sometimes picks up. And it was one straight ball. It was a nice ball around the corner, but it's one ball to get in behind the Barcelona defense because for some reason, Xavi is playing Jules Koundé at center back and Ronald Araujo, who I think of as a center back, as the right back. And Koundé twice is exposed. (laughs) The first, he steps up and he doesn't know where the line is and they're playing a a suicidally high line. Mm -hmm. And you got a right right back playing center back. He steps up at the wrong time. That's a goal. And as you said, they were, you know, Real Madrid were running in behind this high line the entire first 60 yeah. minutes of the match. Yeah. And it, the, the match is over by halftime. Yeah. And uh, because of the quality that they do have, they was able to get a goal themselves and you know, they had a few chances to score. Um, but the game that, no, what I was focusing on the most was looking at the two young players from, from both sides in midfield and in Pedri and, and Bellingham um, and... Of course, Real Madrid dominated possession, so you know Bellingham looked and, and outshone Pedri. I think, but it'll be interesting to see Pedri on another side. I think Pedri is the perfect Man City player. I think he could fit into into City side and and you know take over maybe that Gundogan role or Bernardo Silva role for them. Um, and I think that their athleticism, like you mentioned, is, is a big part of Real Madrid's game, and and Barcelona just couldn't get get to grips with it. Yeah, it's just bizarre to see because Barcelona won the La Liga last season based on their defensive record. Yeah, they conceded only twenty goals the entire season, and you know towards the end of the season they had, they had already won the league at a canter, so they lost like three of their last five matches. But they were they did not concede goals. No. They really did not concede goals at all, and it's just a completely different story this season. Even though the personnel haven't changed that much, yeah. I guess Sergio Busquets is gone in front of the back four, and maybe you know, the protection isn't there in the same way with Frankie de Jong and Ilkay Gundogan. Mm-hmm. I mean, Gundogan is the reason that I that I thought they could be a, a dark horse to compete because he's such a winner. He can really do anything for you in the midfield. But it doesn't seem like they have the balance right back there. Even though, as you said, you know, Pedri, I think, is one of the hottest prospects in world football. Had a couple of genius passes here mm-hmm. where you can see, you know, the Iniesta comparisons yeah. Uh, you know, in, in terms of his his technical skill as a dribbler as well. Um, and of course you have Robert Lewandowski who hasn't had the best season, but he smashed in that smashed volley that. from yeah. the top of the box. Yeah. Yeah. That goes to just quality players always usually shine through at some point, especially, you know, in, in these tight or high state games. It didn't end up being that tight. Um but yeah, I th- I think the balance in, in midfield is a bit off. Um, I think they've sacrificed a little, little bit of that defensive stability this season to try and be a more offensive side um, with with Jao Felix as well coming in. Um, Gundogan playing as your holding midfielder, you know, he's not naturally you know defensive midfielder. You know, he's great in possession and he can still find find a pass from that deep. But they don't have that same protection. Messing around with the back four hasn't helped as well um i do think um araujo is yeah one of the best young center backs at least in, in the world and just taking him out of position is an odd decision to you know to make maybe they're thinking you know having a, a better defensive player out wide against vinicius you know was maybe what was javi's thinking but the way they play in this formation is 
they can go central, they can go out wide, you know, the two forwards. But, you know, they were dragging them all over the place. And I just feel like the Barcelona defenders couldn't, didn't really know where to pick them up. Um, yeah, and they had they had the quality to, to find the passes. Bellingham's pass, like you said. Also, I feel like their fullback, uh, Carver Howe, he's, he's great offensively for Real as well. You know, once he gets in and, and he's, you know, sometimes he's inverted, he can pick out a good cross. You know, he's putting in quite a few dangerous crosses throughout the game. Um, so, yeah, it doesn't look like they're going to do... I don't think they'll do that well in the Champions League. Um, and I don't think that they're going to win the league. But it's a young, young-ish side. Uh, they've got some great young players coming through Barca. And Xavi's still a young coach, you know, that's, that's trying to learn his trade. I think he massively overachieved last season. Um, so, so we'll see how how they end up, uh, you know, by the by the end of May. Yeah, I think Chavi might be under some pressure now. They're, they've been poor in the league. Really, only the Copa del Rey is is realistic for them. Probably, it's it's difficult. And on the other side, you just have this well oiled machine, in my view. I mean, Real Madrid now are are barely conceding any goals mm. in the league, which was a problem for them last season. And they have Jude Bellingham, who. You know, I was. It's fascinating to see how he interacts with other players because he's 20 years old and he gets this sort of cheerful respect from other players. You know, he and Araujo they sort of crash into a heap behind the goal, and there's like this smile and like you know helping him up because it, it's almost like how players used to interact with Ronaldinho and yeah. and you know players that are known for like the class and the joy that they bring to the game as much as their supreme technical level Mm -hmm. and it's it's just fascinating to see you know players treat a 20 year old kid that way yeah i think a a big thing for jude is he seems like a really respectful player as well and respectful person you know you don't see much ego about him you don't see him you know mouthing off to the refs or you know doing anything like snide or sneaky or you know flicking a leg out or anything like that He, he seems to play constantly like a professional and with a smile on his face so i think players they respect that you know you, you expect them as a, as a person as well as a footballer uh and you probably have to put that down to you know great parenting i think he, his mum is there living with him in spain and keeping him grounded um you just yeah it's, it's all around great kids um but he's i don't even know if you can call him a kid man like he plays beyond his years and he's got so much experience in, in european football now um, he's going on a little bit of a goal drought himself. Yeah, I think what how many games now he hasn't scored, but yeah, <laughs> consistently performing in in other areas of the game and, and producing for his team. And he's he's becoming that talisman um, for for not just Real Madrid, probably for for the England side as well. Yeah, I mean, I think he's become a Galactico. Yeah, he, he really he fits the bill. He's wearing Zidane's number. He's you know, as you say, playing that caca position for Ancelotti I mean you can't get much bigger than that he is the absolute trust of you know one of the a top five manager of all time probably at this point yeah yeah for sure yeah uh, yeah hats off to Ancelotti because I think his his position was also looking a bit uh, at risk at the end of last season Um, they they trusted him to go again and it's paying off he's he's quality definitely top five for me Um, he's done it in how many different leagues won multiple Champions League with different teams um, I mean, the only blip in his career is probably that weird stint at Everton. Um, but other than that, he's he's been world class throughout his career. Wasn't a bad player. Yeah, I well. can't believe he took that. Yeah. yeah, I can't believe he took that Everton job. It's such a weird thing on his CV. 
well, that wasn't. Uh, there was there's so many big matches actually this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and as much as you know, Barcelona disappointed us. I would say neither Newcastle or Man City disappointed us in that one. Nope. Uh, you know, pretty good performance from a depleted Newcastle side. And then it's, you know, it's the Man City show. I mean, I think I sent you this on WhatsApp when it happened, but this is like the match where they won the league, I feel like. You know, it's just like everybody is reminded that they're just going to win the league again. Yeah, and it's so annoying. We've said it how many episodes now that the moment they decide to just turn up and, and just click and get their superstars back, it, it's long for everyone else in the league. Like the audacity to score the goal that he did, De Bruyne, when he came on, like who side-foots a shot from that angle like that? Like he's crazy. He's he's crazy. And then the, the ball for, for the winner from Oscar Bob. Yeah, it, I think it was one of those defining moments in the season where you just, as a team and, and the squad, you believe that nah, this, this title is ours this year again. Um, and there's still Haaland to come back. It's... I think the rest of the league had their chance while they were away, but it's it's looking like they're they've got the sights firmly set on on winning the league again, and you can see the hunger. You saw how much it meant to the players as well, getting a last minute winner. You know, there's definitely a lot of a lot of fight still in this Man City side and, and belief to to go out and win the league. Yeah, I think you saw it throughout the match. I mean, the, they had the early injury to Ederson, uh, which I think was a bad. Uh, showcase of the offside rule as it's currently being enforced. I think they, unless it's really close, they should put the flag up because, you know, now they might lose their keeper for a month or two or whatever it might be because of that. But they had the backup keeper in then. And when he made a mistake uh, and Rodri had to bail him out, Rodri wheeled around and like screamed in his face, like extreme intensity and I guess some of that is just the St. James's Park atmosphere that they were in, which was a real cauldron mm. at that point. But I think you're right. I think they, they want it again. Yeah. And as you say, you know, Holland is still to come back, but they just got the guy back who I believe is the best player in the Premier League over the last decade. Mm. You know, Mo Salah might be the best this season. He might have had the best season in there a few times. Mm. But it's hard to think of somebody who's had a bigger impact on both sides of the ball too. I think De Bruyne is a pretty good presser as well. He's he's pretty good without the ball, but then he is the best passer, the best range of pass. He scores goals, a lot of goals, goals. and he's an incredible runner with the ball. Like if he was running at me with the ball, I think that's like a top three or four player (laughs) in the world who I'd be terrified to have coming at me because of his power. He's a, he's a powerful runner. Yeah, he is powerful and he can go either side and he can get a shot off either side as well. Either foot, top corner, bottom corner. He's he's got so many tools, um, you know, in, in his arsenal that it's just he's almost he's impossible to really defend against. You just have to hope he has a bad day. And as much as Salah, like you said, he has, you know, a lot of great moments and his goal scoring record is incredible, you know, we can't deny that. I just think what De Bruyne has done is he's he's been a difference maker for City on too many occasions over these past 10 years. Um, you know, doesn't matter who's up front, whether it's a Jesus up front, whether it's a Negredo up front or Aguero or whoever, 
he will constantly find you and you know he'll he can almost adapt his game to whichever strike or whichever forward line he's playing with and just put it on the plate for them and come up and get goals himself he's yeah uh, i agree with you he's been the best premier league player um since since he's arrived probably and he's got this coach you know i i i saw him coming on and i was like oh jesus because <laughs> you see pep guardiola pointing madly at at a certain area of the pitch. And then as soon as he scored the goal, I think I just realized what he had done. He was like, Newcastle's midfield is tiring. There's a growing gap in behind them in front of their defense. Go flit in there at the right moment to receive the ball and then just run at their back line. Hmm. And that's all it required. I mean, they could have done better, I think. I think, you know, the the center back share, he he kept sinking too deep. And I, I just don't think that you can allow Kevin De Bruyne to get to the D to the top of the 18 just bring him down or something it's yeah. easier said than done uh but that's that's what they have they have this manager that's the difference between Mikel Arteta and Pep Guardiola the ability to see the X's and O's as they're moving during the second half of the match and change the game by giving instructions to the amazing player that you have to bring on I think Arsenal have two problems there we don't yeah. have a Kevin De Bruyne to bring on. yeah I, I think, uh, and we don't have the manager to to advise him the exact thing to do. Yeah, and, and I think that that's it's probably more of the latter, to be honest. I think most managers, even you know, <laughs> armchair managers like ourselves, know that okay, things are working. De Bruyne is on the bench. Let's let's bring him on. You can bring on De Bruyne for anyone, to be honest, and you know he's going to do something. Um, but yeah, just just noticing you know the gaps and and how best to utilize him is, is experience and you know great man management and, and tactical management from, from Guardiola. Um, he, in his interview after the game, he said that with or without the Bruyne, you know, City play the same way. The team understands how to play. They know what each individual needs to do. But the difference is there's only the Bruyne, there's only the Bruyne that can do what he does. So the moment he's in the team, his talent will over will overshadow any instructions or any, you know, tactics that I give them. And that's what that's what he can do to this team. So, you know, there's always going to be that element of just quality will always rise and, and just take you over the edge, even if, you know, tactics or the right substitutions or, you know, the right things don't go your way. Um, and I, I think that's a big thing that both United and, and Arsenal is missing. We don't have enough difference makers that you can just throw on and, and tell them go and win a game for us. Yeah, I, I do think it, it exposed the levels where, you know, Phil Foden has been in fantastic form, mm. but he can be marked yeah. and he can be marked out of the match. And I think Newcastle did a decent job. He got free a few times, caused some dangerous scenarios, but he can be marked. Bernardo Silva can be marked, although he scored an outrageous <laughs> opening goal with the flick. And like five minutes after, maybe even less, he had a volley opportunity that he smashed with like perfect technique. Phenomenal technique, but nobody has technique like Kevin De Bruyne. I would say that I still think that this City team is not as good as last year because they lost Gundogan, because I don't think that Mateo Kovacic is at the level. Mm. Maybe now with De Bruyne coming back, he'll just see fewer minutes and they'll they'll change things around a little bit. But I, I see City fans questioning the level of Kovacic, which does remind you even Guardiola, even City can make some questionable signings. 
I guess because nobody can get a decent player off of Chelsea. I think what we've learned from this summer <laughs> transfer window, Chelsea if we alone. didn't know already, do, do not, you know, you you guys got Mason Mount, we got Kai Havertz. Nobody's happy with the, you know, shopping at the Chelsea shop. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I, I didn't even think of it that way. Um, and I, I think Kovacic is probably the best signing out of the three. Um, but yeah, he hasn't, he hasn't, you know, set the world alight since he's been at, at City. Uh, they don't have great options outside of himself. Good Nunes, he struggled to to get into the side and get into the style of player City. Um, but yeah, De Bruyne is going to get back into that team, and we're going to forget about Kovacic. We're going to forget about you know all the issues they had, uh, you know, beginning of the season. I think defensively, I think they look weaker as well. Um, John Stones not been in the side, uh, as well as you know Ake. Ake played in this game. Um, but previous games haven't been sold on, on Gavrido. Um, so I just think the tinkering at the back hasn't helped them as well. Um, and you're just seeing Rodri having to do so much. And he ended up playing almost as an attacking midfielder in the last stages of that game, you know, doing stepovers at the edge of the box. So, um, and I saw a bit more, a bit more bite and aggression in Rodri's game in the, against Newcastle that I hadn't seen before. I thought he was quite a, a soft, you know, Spanish, you know, tactician, you know, technical player, just, you know, passes about and very calm. But yeah, you saw a bit of aggression, a bit of fight in him. Um, and that leads us, you know, mentioning that, that City really do want this league. They they do have that that hunger and that fight. Um, but I, I just think, again, similar to the Barcelona-Real Madrid game, it was just too much quality uh, against, uh, uh, against Newcastle. But they had some quality finishes themselves. I think they... You know, Isak and Gordon have, have been great, great players for them this season. Yeah, Rodri, I think, I, I've always thought he had a bit of needle in his game. Maybe it's what he brings to the the matches against Arsenal over the last couple seasons where he is the difference maker every time. And yeah. part of it is he's got a bit of a bully mentality, I think, when he needs to. There are, other, there are matches where they just play people off the park and he can sweep his nice passes around. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, you know, I thought Newcastle played pretty well considering when I saw the lineups come out and they had Sean Longstaff um, and Lewis Miley, I was like, the, they are finished. <laughs> yeah, They're absolutely yeah. finished, but they did pretty well. And, you know, Alexander Isak, who we're both big fans of, he roasted Ruben Diaz a couple times. I, I thought that City could be got at through, you know, down the wings, down the channels. Yeah. Uh, you're right. The Rodri was playing super high. So there was some space in midfield too. I think maybe he plays higher because he doesn't think Kovacic is doing enough. I don't know yeah. what what drives him up the pitch in some scenarios. But yeah, I think you're right. John Stones isn't there to fill in the deeper midfield yeah. when he does do that right now. I you know I, I guess I'm just delusionally hoping that it, <laughs> it it could be different this year. Even if it's Liverpool, I'll take anybody. You know, I'm an Arsenal fan, but I will take anybody other yes. than City winning. <sighs> But a, it's hard to see, you know, they can always score four goals. So yeah. it's just, it's very difficult to beat a team like that. Yeah, it is. Uh, as a United fan, I'm not sure who I'd prefer to win the league, City or or <laughs> Liverpool. You know, you, you have City winning it four times on, on the bounce. or you have Liverpool equaling our, our 20 um, league title records. So it's not great either way. Um, for me, I'd rather a Tottenham win it. But obviously, we know that's never going to happen in our lifetime probably but um yeah yeah let, let's let's see how the rest of the season unfolds but i just think they've got they've got a real fire under them now see um and 
Liverpool, they could fall away with a couple of their players being away for uh, for AFCON um, and for the Asia Cup. So I think it's a real opportunity for, for C to still the lead before their players are back. I mean, we haven't even mentioned De Bruyne's assist for the winner where somehow he's standing in the middle of the park in like maybe, you know, on the edge of the, the Newcastle third. Mm-hmm. And somehow he turns it into like a corner kick situation with the bend that he puts on the ball where it's basically a cross from the middle of the field yeah. that is exactly on Oscar Bob's foot. Oscar Bob, great name and two great feet to go two around the keeper feet. as well. And again, like these players just come out of the woodwork. Obviously, De Bruyne is at the heart of it, but like these guys are just popping up everywhere. It's a very distressing situation. Yeah, it's distressing. And the thing about De Bruyne, a lot of his, his passes, you don't even see how he's seen that ball. Like, how do you even think to play it? I don't know. It's it's great to watch, but it's frustrating to watch at the same time because it's, it's they're just too good. Yeah. Well, it wasn't the only match on on uh, Saturday. Uh, there was also Chelsea Fulham, a West London derby, which also, you know, I, it was a tight scoreline. I thought that Chelsea had the better of it. I, you know, I think Fulham are underperforming based on the quality of players they have. Mm. Um, but in the end, it was it w- it was quite fine margins. It, it took a a penalty from Cold Palmer to uh, do the business for Chelsea. Yeah. But I, you know, I I am really starting to appreciate what's something you you pointed out, you know, in on one of the first episodes of the match report, that there's a lot more to Cole Palmer's game than, you know, I see these memes making the rounds on Instagram after the game. His heat map is just the penalty spot. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, that. you guys are not watching these matches. Like yeah. he is sort of a he plays the role that Bernardo Silva used to play at City yeah. I feel like as a right winger who comes inside yeah. to cause a lot of trouble with his passing range and and his ability. Mm-hmm. I was super impressed with him. Yeah, I I, th- I think he's a great player. Well, great player. He's going to become a great player. I think he's got great potential. Um yeah, I I, I love the way he 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 finds space. Um he has a range of passing. He can drive with the ball. Um, you've got a great, great strike on him. And he is cold, you know, with his finishes, with his penalty taken. And when he's in and around the box, he does have the, you know, ice in his veins. And, you know, he's he's very well accomplished um, finisher. And I think any player that's come through that City Academy, especially in this golden era, uh, and playing through midfield, you're going to have someone that's competent in, in you know, picking up the ball and, and finding space and, you know, being being useful in the final third, there is definitely a lot more to his game um, than, you know, than just penalties or, or set pieces. Um, but I think if Chelsea are probably going to become a real force again, he's going to be one of the, the leading players to, to, to drag them in there. Um, I'm not sure if his future is on the far, on the right coming in. Um, I, I do see him more as a number 10 overall because, um, you know, he, he is press resistant as well. So I think playing through the middle and are more as a focal point for their attack it will, will only be more beneficial for uh, for Chelsea. Because um, I, I think, you know, Gallagher, as much as an athletic as he is, I just don't think he has that, that quality in the final third. Um, so yeah, he was he was just not as, as effective in that in that number 10 role for them. No, I think Gallagher could use a move. Um, it probably won't happen in January, but I think Crystal Palace was like the perfect place for him to play. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I just can't get a read on Chelsea because they need Palmer to be cold because no one else has any composure in front of goal. Excellent. Even Raheem Sterling, you know, hugely experienced player, has scored a lot of goals at this level. Pretty erratic. Mm-hmm. And then Armando Broya, I mean, I know he's a young player, but this man wants to be a striker in the Premier League. He just has no confidence at all in front of goal. He fluffed his lines on a number of occasions. Yeah. I think Chelsea's problem is they don't have a settled side and they've got too too big a squad where you know they can't work on a, you know, a settled 11 or settled 15 16 players um and everyone knows their their role and their job and I think you know almost every week it's two or three players playing in different positions or or in a different um in a different style of play it's just I think Pochettino's biggest issue is going to be trimming that squad down um and adding a bit more experience and, and quality, I think they've got enough young young players. They spent the first couple of transfer windows trying to get the best young players around, around Europe, um, but they can't all play, you know. And with a couple of them being out injured, once they're back, it's it's more competition, it's more issues. Um, and but you know, one one of the young players I do like as well is Gusto. I think he was lucky to stay on in the game. Um, but yeah, I think you know being able to play full back and. Uh, both sides of fullback is is definitely an added bonus, and it was good to see Chilwell come come back and get some minutes as well from his long term injury. So I, I think they can progress. I just think it's it's going to be an up and down season for them for at least yeah until the end of this season at least. But I think trimming the trimming the squad is more important than adding. I think in in this next transfer window. Yeah, Malagusto seems like a bit of a hothead. I, I think he might have been sent off already this season once. Yeah, he has. Uh, he's certainly picked up a lot of yellows. Um, you know, on the other side of things, I I think Marco Silva had a disaster class here. As much as Fulham in the second half, you know, around 60 minutes, they start getting in behind the Chelsea midfield a bit, threatening a bit. I just didn't understand the personnel moves he made. You know, I, I rate Harry Wilson very highly. Um, I think Willian has been decent for them. And, you know, Harry Wilson goes off pretty early, probably 60, 65 minutes. Tom Kearney, who I thought had an absolute stinker mm. from minute one to minute 90, giving the ball away, no confidence. He's got the number 10 on his back, no confidence to pick out a ball. He sticks around for the entire match, and they just didn't threaten enough. And if you don't score goals in this league, it's not going to go well for you. You're going to sink down the table no matter how talented your players are. And I, I think Fulham have a few very talented players. Yeah, they do. And and I do think Silver is a good manager as well. Um, but he, he did get it wrong with, with his uh with his substitutions and, and with you know, the way they set up. Um it was a close score line, so it wasn't all terrible. Um but it didn't seem like they had much there to try and get better than maybe a draw um at Stamford Bridge. So I think a part of that is also having the right belief to feel like you can go away to these to these sides and and get a win or you know get something out of the game um but yeah he he got it wrong um i also feel like you know they just don't have enough quality i don't think in in the final third and across the squad to be anywhere further than where they are really so it's almost you know they're making the best of the situation that they have and i think bassi's a good player that they have in the back and him being away as well i think they've got a couple players off to afcon both their center backs gone off to afcon so you know that didn't help um 
But yeah, I, I think as poor as Fulham were, um, Chelsea, they dominated uh, in large spells, but they didn't kill the game. Uh, and that, that just shows their lack of, their, yeah, their lack of quality themselves. Yeah, I think they'll be fighting to get into the, you know, top six in, in the best scenario for Chelsea. Yeah. I mean, for Fulham, Andreas Pereira ballooned. He had a free kick opportunity later yeah, on, yes. ballooned it over the bar. He, he's got one goal on the season. It, that's just, as a central attacking midfielder, it's not enough. It's not good enough. Yeah, and <laughs> it's funny because when he first left United, you know, we was well, his fans were happy about it. Um, but then he had a decent first season for Fulham. And then, you know, there's quite a bit of revisionism from the rest of the fans thinking, why do we let him go? And we still got McTominay in the squad. And, and we've seen that with quite a few players, with Elanga, with um, James Garner as well. Um, he's, he's, he's not, he's an okay player. He's an okay, good standard, you know. He's got decent work rate. He's got good ability, technical ability. But he's, his numbers just not high enough. They never were as a United. Um, and I don't think he can really call himself a, an out-and-out out number 10. Like he doesn't create enough or get enough goals. But he does seem to want to be, you know, that Bruno Fernandes for Fulham. But he, he just doesn't deliver it enough for them. Um, so there's there's an upgrade p- position there for, uh, for, um, for Fulham. I think playing Willian as a number 10 could be an option for them, especially as he loses a bit of legs as he gets older, um, I think William could probably be a bit more effective in that position for Fulham. Yeah, he's certainly more effective than he ever was in an Arsenal shirt. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Uh, but Serie A was also in action this weekend. Mm. Uh, the big game was Milan hosting a Jose Mourinho's Roma side uh, at the San Siro. Ended 3-1 to Milan. Mm-hmm. Milan are in sort of an interesting position where they've been left behind i mean they're not so far out in in points terms but they've essentially been left behind by inter inter who i think are one of the best teams in europe juventus who are grinding out a lot of close victories a lot of two ones one nils those two are are clearly at the top milan are in sort of a class of their own in Serie A and third no one's really around them fiorentina and and a couple others are are quite a few points back Mm. I, it's hard to to know about Milan, uh, but they do have uh, Arsenal great Olivier Giroud up top, who scored yet again today. And you know, we were talking about this before we came on the air. He scored his first professional goal in the year two thousand seven, and I believe February two thousand seven uh, against Le Havre in in uh, in France. Yeah. Incredible career that he's put together where you know i'll be the first to admit when we sold him to chelsea i was like "Ugh, i don't like the idea of him being a chelsea to haunt us but he had never scored that many goals for the arsenal and, he, and you know he was getting on and i thought you know it's probably over he's still going it's 10 years later it feels like <laughs> yeah. the Giroud, the Giroud's career and Giroud as a player it baffles me if i'm being completely honest he's not He's not quick. I don't think technically he's great. Um, I don't think his, his finishing is great. He's very reliant on his left foot. Um, I don't think his approach play is brilliant. Like he's from everything that he has, you you expect him to be just average, but 
he gets goals. Uh, he's been consistent. I don't know if it's if it's a, an elite mentality he has. He performs well for for France. Um, he's probably one of those players that makes others around him play better, um, rather rather than him being you know like a, a standout performer. But I think he's also someone that when no one really cares what's happening in his team or with him, he kind of just does the job quietly, you know. But when you suddenly do need him to, you know lead the line or get you know a crucial goal in a big game he he often goes missing so yeah he's kind of like just like a fly on the wall that just just keeps going and just doesn't doesn't go away um but hats off to him because anyone playing in the top you know the highest leagues um consistently i mean he's won multiple trophies in different sides now you know he's there's clearly a good player there i just i still understand how yeah france's all-time uh, the French national team's all-time leading goal scorer. It's crazy. He's also, you know, he's been involved in some of the best goals of the last two decades, I would say. You know, <laughs> yeah. he scores some spectacular goals. The yeah. the scorpion kick he scored for Arsenal was unbelievable. He was on the run almost, yeah. you know, he, like he was running to the front post in the box. And he was also, you know, his his combination play can be decent. Mm-hmm. I would agree with you that sometimes he flatters to deceive a bit where you're like, you should be one of the best hold up men one of the one of the best target men in the world he doesn't always produce it but you know he was key to that jack wilshire goal against norwich which yeah. ended up being very famous he he can do some one touch two touch combination stuff but he is an interesting story where he he sort of has a you know workman like path through professional football where it took him a while to break into the top level mm. it took him a while to get the attention of arsenal I think he was at Toulouse or somewhere mm. and he finally gets his move to the, to the, to the premier league. And it, it, I think he just works incredibly hard. Is the impression I get. <clears throat> he, he knows that he's not the most talented person, even though he can score spectacular goals, mm. but he just works incredibly hard in training. I bet. Yeah. And, and a similar player that's often spoken in the same way is Gary Neville. You know, he wasn't, you know, particularly best with great footballing ability, but, you know, he did the basics well um, and he was consistent and, and he worked hard. And you kind of see that in, in Giroud where, you know, some of the goals that he, like you said, that he's at school, you're thinking, how how is he able to do that when, you know, simple finishes, you know, he struggles or he's just not consistent in, in other areas. Um, but I, I think it's got to just be down to, to great mentality and great work rate from him that he just keeps plugging away. Um, and he's he's a useful squad player i think he he is that he's a, he's he's a squad player wherever he goes but he does have you know moments and, and and purple patches where you know he he's on rich form um and yeah i think with good players around him it helps as well um but he's he's flattered to see so many times i just i i can't put him up there as one of the great, you know, premiership strikers or, or, or footballing strikers, um, unfortunately. But he, he's made a great career for himself. Yeah, it's just so strange that he would be, you know, France's top scorer. You know, he, he's in, he's around the same age as Karim Benzema, who is just a far better player, yeah. but has had his issues with the national team. The national team you know, Terry yeah. Henry has played for that team. Mm-hmm. David Trezeguet, all these people you Anelka, sort of forget about who were lethal. Yeah, exactly, Anelka. Yeah, there's, there's there's a lot of players. Um, but yeah, Mbappe will break that, so he he's not going to hold that record for for too long. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, on the flip side, Milan's guests for this match, 
uh, Jose Mourinho's Roma not looking so good. They not have sunk good. to ninth in the table. Mm. Uh, and there's some very un Mourinho like stuff going down where they've actually scored a lot of goals. They got 32 goals and uh, 20, but they've also allowed 24, which is, you know, more than anybody in the top half except for Napoli. Mm. Um, it's sort of a strange state of affairs. I don't know if Mourinho's having some sort of midlife crisis where he's <laughs> having a change in philosophy. But I also wonder, you know, is this the beginning of the? I, I think he might be in his third year with Roma, and usually with with uh, Jose Mourinho, it's a three year cycle where at the end there's a large explosion and he no longer works there. <laughs> be curious to see if if we're at that stage with Roma. Yeah, potentially. You know, like you said, I wouldn't be surprised now if we hear some massive bust up between Mourinho and one of the players or someone on the board. Um, but I, I think he can still say that he's had a, a decent uh, a decent stint while at Roma. You know, he's won them a trophy. That's what he's renowned for. Um, but yeah, the, the league position is worrying. Um, you was hoping they could they could kick off and start challenging consistently for European spots. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not working. And he's actually brought in a lot of players that have the right ability, you know, Dybala, Lukaku. But it's, it just doesn't seem to be clicking uh, at both sides of the pitch for them. And he he seems seems a bit more worn out than than usual. He doesn't seem his usual charismatic self in interviews and you know on the touchline and stuff like that. So it, it probably is the start of the decline for um for, for Mourinho at Roma. Yeah, I wonder if he's just needs a break. You know, he's I, usually I felt like he used to take a break in between jobs, sort of like how Pep Guardiola did. Yeah. Um, he might just need a little bit of time away to get his fire back. Yeah. But I will say, you know, it's a difficult division to coach in. I, I think Serie A is very competitive. There's a lot of parity. Mm. You know, there's obviously Inter and Juventus are up top and uh, I would say pulling away. Milan, class of their own. But there's a bunch of teams in there that are, that are pretty good. You know, Fiorentina, Lazio, Bologna are up there. Napoli are not having a great season, but they're still in seventh. Atalanta is a pretty good side. Mm. It's not that easy to win games in Serie A. It, you know, I, I feel like I might be stuck in a mentality sometimes where I think of it as what it used to be, you know, a top four league, which is what the Premier League used to be too before mm. there was more parity there. Yeah, I, I'm not I'm not so sure I rate the league that much, to be honest. I feel like it's it's more a lot of players on the, a lot of teams, sorry, on the same level where there's not many great players in Serie A. I mean, I can't think of four or five players that I'd want from that league in United, you know, or, you know, that I think would be, be doing, you know, better than United, you know, Chiesa maybe one of them. Um, I look at the Inter Milan side, I, I like Bastoni, um, but the rest of their players, they're, they're good players, they work well in, in the system that they play, but I don't see any of them being you know, changing or, or, or fitting into any of the top three sides in, in the Premiership, for example, or, or the Real Madrid side or a Barca side. So I, I just think that the league as a whole has dropped and it means a lot of the teams are, are more on the level playing field. So it is in that way competitive. Um, but I don't think it's competitive due to quality. I think it's, it's competitive due to a lack of quality, in all, all, all honesty, you know. Um, you're seeing a lot of different different results and different teams um, beating each other apart from Inter who are, you know, who are doing quite well and flying. 
Yeah, there are some good, you know, Napoli, even though they're not playing well, you know, Victor Osman and Kavicha yeah. Kvaric-Skelia, I hope I didn't butcher that too much. They, there are a couple quality players there. Rafael Leao sort of doesn't always look that interested, but is yeah. obviously an incredibly talented player. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it, it could be that the, you know, some of these teams just aren't as good as they used to. So that, so Atalanta can even things out. Atalanta actually had a great season a few, few years ago, but yeah, yeah, I I do think that Inter will be competitive in the champions league. Uh, I think Lautaro Martinez plays incredibly well for them, if not for Argentina. Mm. Um, and they look lights out defensively. They, They really do not concede. Yeah. Yeah. any chances so it'll be interesting to see how they fare but yeah i it's i you hope it's not a scenario where which i think it might be that you know when it comes down to it in the champions league man city real bayern maybe mm-hmm. yeah maybe bayern. bayern munich now with harry kane mm-hmm. yeah i i see those yeah. sides quite quite a bit further ahead of, of the italian sides um I think they've got more going forward and I think they've got, you know, they're just, they're just as solid defensively, all of those sides, um, just a bit more quality. Even Arsenal, you know, as, as poor as you guys have done recently in the league, I still put an Arsenal side and Liverpool, um, also not in Champions League, but I put I put both those sides ahead of the Italian sides. Um, but, you know, the fact that we're, we're mentioning, you know, three, four, five players at max from the Italian league, um, you know, that we're rating... You know, back in the day, it was it was four or five players in every team in the top six that you could you know that you could pick out and you think you know they could do well on our side. Um, so let's let's um, let's see how the Champions League turns out. But I I I don't see Inter. I don't think they have enough quality to really hurt um, Real Madrid, Barca, uh, not Barca, Real Madrid, Real, and uh, and Bayern. Um, and as good as Harry Kane is, I think Bayern's biggest asset is Musiala. I think he's the one that that is just a constant threat. He he curates and opens up so much and creates so much for them. Um, and you know, the the older he gets and the more experience he gets, especially at the highest level, you know, the better he's going to be. So I just think that there's there's more firepower and there's just more quality in the other leagues around uh, around the world. And probably put Syria out probably fourth. If not fifth in the world. Mm. Um, I'll put the Bundesliga, La Liga, and, and the Premiership first, um, and then it's a toss up between the French league and the Italian league. Really, the fourth and fifth. I think I'd put them above uh, Liga. I mean, I think it speaks volumes that when we talk about the Champions League, we don't really mention PSG, <laughs> um, and they're you know True. far far and ahead. The, you know the the most talented outfit there mm. i think inter you know in a hypothetical champions league semi-final i think inter would deal with psg yeah yeah easily. i agree especially both legs yeah well we'll have to see but i'm glad you think that arsenal are a better team than most of these I, I, <laughs> losing, my, losing my faith but they'll be back next week i think arsenal have crystal palace next week it's another sort of half week of, of the prem so yeah. we'll uh We'll have some things to talk about, but Manny, I hope you enjoy your week until then, and uh, we'll be back with the match report. Thanks, man. We'll see you next week, bro.